not how to be a relevant church. Not like that. I love that one part in there. I'm laughing because uh, that one part that talks about the length of the, of the sermon. And uh, many years ago, when my kids were still at home, uh, one Sunday morning, we, we got back to the house, and my, my uh, young teenage daughter said, Dad, that was the best sermon you've ever preached. And I was like, really? And I'm like, what was it about the sermon that you loved so much? And she said, it was the shortest sermon you've ever preached in your life. I'm like, okay, wow. Uh, hey, I, don't, I don't know uh, if you folk, uh, any of you are like um, computer people. You're on your computer a lot every day or your laptop every day. I know that I am. And I wonder uh, in your browser, if you use a computer a lot, how many tabs do you have open at once? I mean, I see a couple of people laughing and I see a couple of you have your eyes glazed over like, what's a tab? <laughs> I wondered that myself the other day, and I, I thought, <clears throat> I'm going to count the number of tabs I have open. And I, <laughs> I had 15 open at once. But that's an improvement for me because sometimes I have two different browsers open at once. I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm just a mess like that. And what, I've, what I have found out is, that the more tabs I have opened, the harder it is to focus, right? And I really think that the same thing is true for the church, that the more tabs we have opened, the harder it is for us to keep our focus. And one of the challenges I think that any church has to be relevant is that we've got to keep our focus on the mission of the church. It's really, really critical. And we're going to spend a few moments today and kind of unpack what all, exactly what that means. A couple of weeks ago, I did begin the series, as Brent said a moment ago, about how to be a, a, a relevant church. And uh, my first go at that, or my first attempt to define what, a, what it means to be a relevant church was this idea that we embrace our birth story. And I had three points in there, and let me just hit them again. Uh, one is we need to remember that the church is God's idea. It's not that men uh, came up with it. God came up with that idea. The second uh, thought I had in that little message was that the church was born in the atmosphere and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And you know, to be a relevant church, we've got to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need wise people, but even more than that, we need to rely on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And then I noted that in that birth story of the church in Acts chapter 2, that the church was born in community, and it was a reminder that, that the New Testament knows nothing about Lone Ranger Christians, that we need the church. We really do. So that was my first go. Now, if you were here last week, I showed this video up on the screen, you know, and I said, what is that? And it was a, it was a, a moth butterfly, but, butterfly moth, and it looked like a hummingbird, and it was, it was really cool. But as we talked last week, I, I tried to get the idea that the church has this transforming message. 
And the transforming message is very simply this, that we don't have to stay the way we are. That we can, we can become better. We can become better in this life and certainly in the world to come when we are resurrected or break out of our chrysalis, uh, we, we are a brand new creature, a brand new creation. And so that message is a message of hope. And last week I said that, that when we have this message of hope and we, we embrace that message of hope, we are empowered as a church. And that makes us relevant because nobody else outside the church has that kind of message. So that was last week. So now this week, we need to begin to think about what is the mission of the church. And it's really, really easy to think what the mission of the church is. Because if you remember last week when we were talking, I read, I read 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. You see, there's that transformation. The old has gone, the new has come. So now if, as a church, we have this transforming message of hope, if, if we have that message, and we do, then clearly the mission of the church is to share that message. You see? I mean, what good does it do to have this amazing message of transformation that brings hope to people who need hope. And then we just keep it to ourselves. You know? If the church folk were just like, don't tell anybody out there. It, it, it is our mission to share this message of hope. Now, I want, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm all for the church doing good things. I mean, if, if the church is going to dig wells to get water in Africa for tribes that are needing that, I, man, I, I'm applauding that. I, I think that's really great. If the church wants to get involved in food pantries and, and feed uh, homeless people or people that are, are uh, poor and have low incomes, I, I'm, I'm all for that. I, I applaud that. But listen carefully. If all the church does is good works, and again, I applaud that, I'm all for that, but if that's all the church does, then we're just like these other secular organizations that are out doing good. I mean, you can have a, you can have a group of atheists that dig in Africa and have this water come up, and that's a good thing. But the truth is, if we settle for that, if the church just settles for doing good works, then we stop being relevant to the world outside the walls of the church. Because our relevancy is found in this amazing message of transformation. You see? This is, this is how we become relevant. We, we share this amazing message with people that are all around us and need this message. So here now, my, my third go at trying to describe what a relevant church is, is this lesson that teaches us that 
a relevant church stays focused on its mission. And the mission, again, is this idea of sharing this message of transformation and of hope. Now, to get us started and for you to see that this, that this is indeed the message, I beg your pardon, the mission of the church, I invite you to look at the screen or maybe you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and I just want to point out that last week, again, we were in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where we talked about the message of the church. But then Paul doesn't stop there. It's the Apostle Paul who pushes forward and says, okay, now, now that we know what the message is, here's the mission. So now I read verses 18 and 19. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. All right, let's take a moment now and talk about those two verses. Verse 18, God reconciled us to himself through Christ, And the words are then, in that verse, not counting men's sins against them. Now that implies and suggests, rightfully so, that before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we were estranged from God. And and we were. And it's because of sin, we were, well, we can say we were on the outs with God. Sin always divides. Sin always separates. It always does. But God is always at work to reconcile us to him. And that word reconcile means something like this, to bring back together. To bring back together. So it's the death and resurrection of Christ that allows our broken relationship with God to be healed again. And that's, that's the message of transformation. That's the message of hope. Um, so, so it's all about reconciliation. This idea of bringing, bringing back together what was torn apart. And that was God's ministry to us. And now as I read these verses, I, I'm, I'm coming to understand that God's ministry to us was a ministry of reconciliation. Now that's the ministry of the church to those around us. You know, that that verse there that says uh, in verse 19, and he has committed to us, that that word committed to us, the ministry of reconciliation. In the original language, the word committed can be translated assigned place. The assigned place of the church is to be involved in this ministry of reconciliation. Uh, Another way to say it is that it's our assigned task. It's our assigned mission from God to be 
reconcilers <laughs> to help bring people back to God, to, to restore estranged parties, to help restore God and those that are not in a relationship with him. It's the assigned task that God has given the church to be involved in that. Now, when you think about reconciling anything or anyone, one of the things you have to think about is why, why do they need to be reconciled? And the answer is because there's some barrier there. there there's a barrier. And so if you're going to be a reconciler or be a, an agent in bringing about reconciliation, you've got to remove barriers. And when you remove barriers between parties that are not together, then you aid in the reconciliation process and that's what a relevant church is to do, to help remove barriers so that people can be reconciled with God. A lot of times in the church when we talk about that, people get nervous and they're like, well, we can't water down the gospel. Well, that's true. We're not, no one's talking about changing the gospel message. We're just talking about helping people to come into a knowledge of God, into, into a right relationship with God. Now, if the task of the church is to take down barriers and to bring people together, I, I, I'll just stop and say that it's really important to notice that when you have division in the church, that's devastating. I mean, it's, it's devastating to any church on so many levels, but it's devastating to a church that wants to focus on being filled with reconcilers because division is the, act, is the exact opposite of being a reconciler because you have those barriers there. You know, division. People are divided. And, you know, I've thought about this, and I've been in a lot of churches where there's been Oh, my, division. I mean, serious division. Um, and the question is, how can any church who is divided, has, that has division within its own body, how can any church like that help people be reconciled with God when they're not reconciled with each other? So it's really, really important that we are unified. I, I really think that one of the key strategies of the enemy, Satan, is to get church people fighting so they aren't able to be effective reconcilers. Maybe that's why when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest question, or the greatest commandment? <laughs> and he said, well, the greatest commandment is this, that we, be, that we love God and we love each other, that you're reconciled with God and you're reconciled with each other. And when we are like that, then we can effectively be reconcilers to those people that don't know that there's a God that loves them. So that, that's, that's the first thought that I see coming out of verses 18 and 19. But now let me take a moment and read verses 20 and 21. 
20 and 21 now. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I was thinking about these verses this morning. And I was thinking about how a lot of times when preachers, including myself, get ready to preach, we, sometimes we tend to rely on, like, fancy alliteration. I have these points, and, you know, we have to have these words that match up in our points, and we got to get it all, all kind of looking spiffy in our, in our, in our notes, and we got to have the right little illustrations to kind of prompt to, to kind of prop up the, the Bible verse. And I was thinking this morning, I don't, I don't have any of that, but I don't need any of that to, to get your attention this morning because these verses are absolutely mind-blowing. I, I don't know if, if you caught that, but uh, let's talk about these verses in a moment. So how is it that we can carry out this mission and we can carry out this mission to those people that don't know that there is a God that loves them by recognizing that every person that is reconciled to God is an ambassador of Christ. I don't know if you got that or not, but wow, I'm thinking about what an amazing truth that is. Remember, we saw a couple of weeks ago that the church... Uh, is consists of those who are called out, called out to follow Jesus. And Jesus was the ambassador of God in the flesh. And so now when we're called out to follow Christ, and we say, yeah, I'm going to follow Christ. And so as we begin to follow Christ, who was an ambassador of God, now we become ambassadors of Christ. Do you see how that works? We are ambassadors of of Jesus Christ. And now this phrase, and I, you know, I, I don't know. I remember the first time I got a hold of this phrase and I was like, wow. It, it says this, it's as though God is making his appeal through us. And us there, I think, means the church but individually, if you're part of the church, if you are a Christ follower, then what Paul is saying is that it's as though God is making his appeal through you. Through you. You are, if you are a Christ follower, you are an ambassador of Christ. Amen. I, I, I'm just like, wow, I, I'm not sure we, I'm just not sure we, we, we get that. And, and sometimes, you know, I see people that are, that are followers of Christ and they have such 
low self-esteem. And, and I know there's a lot that goes into that, how you were raised, how you're wired, your personality type. But we walk through life like this, and, and we know God has forgiven us of our sins. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just like, you know what? Just lift your head up. You are an ambassador of Christ. And if you're feeling maybe insignificant this morning, if you're feeling overwhelmed by the challenges of life, if you feel like you're ready, almost ready to give up and you don't know what you're going to do and you're just all confused, this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to just put your shoulders back a little bit and just raise your chin up a little bit. And if you can't raise your chin up by yourself, have your neighbor reach over and do this. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. And I'm like, wow, that just blows me away. What a privilege it is to begin to think like that. But with every privilege comes responsibility. And the responsibility of being an ambassador of Jesus Christ is that we need to do ambassador things. <laughs> you got the title. Now we need to do it. We need to do ambassador things. Now that raises the question, exactly what is an ambassador? And you could probably Google it on your phone and come up with a little bit better definition than what I'm about to give you. But basically, an ambassador is a representative of a king on foreign soil. That's what an ambassador is. The representative of a king or, in our, in our world, of a president on foreign soil. And so when Paul writes in language like this, you're an ambassador. When he writes in language like this, the first thing I hope that comes to your mind is this reminder that we are not citizens here only. It's the reminder that this really is not our home. We're ambassadors here. And that implies that we're on foreign soil. This is not all there is. I guess you might say we have dual citizenship. <laughs> Citizen of this country. But we are citizens of a far, far greater country. You see, we are ambassadors here. <clears throat> now, this is one of the reasons that I'm going to tread very carefully here because given the weather outside, the ice is very thin. But this is one of the reasons that I do my best not to get all wrapped up and all bent out of shape and get my blood pressure raised by politics. See, I said the P word, didn't I? politics. Because I am a citizen here, and it's important to vote, and it's important to do all that stuff, and pray, and get all the elected officials. I mean, I, 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 I get all that. Trust me, I really do, and sometimes I get kind of wrapped up in that, and I don't, I don't want to. But I, I remind myself that the greater citizenship is in heaven. It's in the, it's in the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean we ignore 
this down here. I'm not saying that. But I'm, I'm reminded of that truth when, when Paul says that Christ's followers are ambassadors. And the definition of, ambassador, of an ambassador is that we represent the king on foreign soil. This is not our place. And so I, I want you to be reminded today, if you are a Christ follower, that you are on special assignment. Right now, you're on special assignment. And your assignment is that wherever you go, you represent the king. Wow. See, isn't this good stuff? It's not because I'm a great preacher. It's because this is good stuff. Everywhere you go, you, you represent the king. You are an ambassador of him. You are on assignment. And you are, as a matter of fact, in ministry. Every one of you. You say, well, you know, Brent, he's in ministry. Randy, he's in ministry. Guess what? You're in ministry, and you are a minister of reconciliation. It is your assigned task from God to be in ministry and have this ministry of reconciliation. So wherever a Christ follower goes, we are to be ministers of reconciliation and to me, that means that we ought to be walking, talking, barrier removal machines. Because that's how reconciliation happens. We remove barriers. That's what we are to do. So that there's a greater chance that people will be reconciled, brought back into a right relationship with God. That's our focus. That's our mission. And we've got to keep our eyes on that. I'm wondering if this is where Old Testament Israel got into trouble. Because they knew that they were God's chosen people. I mean, they knew that God had put his hand on them and they were called out to be special. And they were called out to be witnesses to the world around them. I guess in a way you could say they were called out to be ambassadors of the king. But when you read the pages of the Old Testament, you can see again and again, they thought that meant that they were elite. They, they thought that meant that it was all, of, all about them. They thought that meant that everybody outside of their group, they were unclean, and in the group they were, they were clean, that they were better than those people just because God had called them to be out and let the world around them know that there was a God that loved them. Um, but they forgot all about that. They seemed to forget that they were God's ambassadors to the world. And they focused on themselves, and they, and they lost their way. I want to tell you, that's the great temptation of the church. To do, to do e exactly that. To, 
to, to drift over into the territory of snobbery. <laughs> or, or be like the video we saw a little bit ago and think, well, this is all about us. You see? That, that we're, we're special, we're, we're privileged, and, and to say, well, I'm glad I'm not like those people that live in the homeless shelter. I'm glad I'm not those people who are addicts. I'm glad I'm not like those people. And if we're not really, really careful, we start to look down our nose at, at the people that we're supposed to be working with to reduce the barrier so there's a better chance that they will be reconciled with God. We are his ambassadors. So it's what we need to really, really work at. Now, if we're really going to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ and work at removing barriers so people can get hooked up with God, the first thing that we really need to do is make sure that we are in a right relationship with God ourselves. That there's no, no barrier between us and God. Because as, as a Christ follower, we, our assigned task is to be a, a, an ambassador here on this earth, and our assigned task is to represent the king here in this foreign land, and we all know that if an, an ambassador is not in a good relationship with the king or an ambassador isn't in good relationship with the president, there's a problem. You see? So if we're, if we're really going to drill down and make this happen, if we're really going to drill down and become a relevant church by staying focused on this mission of sharing this transforming message... If we're really going to make that happen, it starts with you and me. To make sure that there's no barrier between us and God. And that we are fully reconciled with Him. That's the first way that we really make this happen. The other way that we make this happen is that we work hard to make sure that we have as few barriers as possible between us and other people. Again, you're, you're, you're on a ministry assignment here. You are a minister. You are the minister of reconciliation. And you can't effectively do your ministry job if you're always making people mad. If you're always posting stuff on Facebook that inflames the whole world. You see, that's, that's creating barriers. And we've got to work hard to get rid of any barriers that we have between us and other people and us and our friends. And that, that means we have to let go of any grudges that we have. Or any hurts or disappointments or any... Any issues that we have with other folk, we just got to let that go and remove that barrier between us and them so that we can begin to work on them and help them remove barriers between them and God. Because you are a minister. 
You have the ministry of reconciliation. And so if we're going to be a relevant church, it means we accept our assignment of being ministers of reconciliation. And we're going to get rid of any barrier that might impede the ability of your friend or neighbor to reconcile with God. Now, I've told you before that um, I've been a senior pastor in a traditional role for about, I don't know, 30 years or so. And in my last church, I was there almost 10 years, and I decided that uh, I needed to resign. And my second to the last service in that church where I'd been preaching for a long time, I was, I was preaching, and I, and I looked out, and I saw a guy, a young man, sitting right about, right about there, and his name was Pete. Pete had just started coming to church, and Pete was really unique. I mean, he was exceptionally bright. He was a, he was a Ph.D. candidate. You know, just one of these really bright guys, kind of a little guy. And he was the first guy I had seen in probably 20 years that always wore a bow tie. And so I'm, I'm preaching my next to the last service. And while I'm preaching, sometimes this happens. If you've never preached or stood in front of a group and did a lot of speaking, you'll, you'll be like, can that really happen? Well, I'm about to tell you what really happens sometimes, is that while you're preaching, you have a conversation going on in the back of your brain. It's just the weirdest thing. Like right now, I'm just like, I'm talking, but in the back of my mind, there, once, it doesn't happen all the time, but once in a while, you know, just like. And so I'm preaching, and I'm looking out, I'm seeing Pete Faziani set right there. And he'd been, he'd been, he's really new to the church, he's wearing a bow tie, and while I'm preaching, I thought to myself, Pete is not really connected to the church. And I'm afraid, while I'm preaching, I'm like, what will happen when I leave? As though it all depends on me, like I was that wonderful, you know. But anyhow, that's what I'm, telling you, that's, I'm just telling you, this is what I'm thinking. I'm like, I, I'm preaching, and I'm like, I'm worried about Pete. I'm worried about Pete. So after the service, I thought about it. I got, this, I got this idea. I thought, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a way to make him feel like he fits in more than he does right now. And so I engineered this little plot. And the plot was for us to secure some bow ties and have a bunch of people his age wear bow ties so on my last Sunday when he showed up at church, he, he would feel like he fit in, and it was my little attempt to, like, remove a barrier. You see? Like, when he walks in, he's like, oh, he's got a bow tie. Oh, he's got a bow tie. Hey, the preacher's got a bow tie. I belong here. And so this picture was taken my last Sunday. And that's the first time, by the way, I ever wore a bow tie in my life, right there. And Pete's 
the little guy standing right next to me, Pete Faziani. And in that last service, after being at that church almost 10 years, I thought about that experience. I thought, you know what? I'm going to wear a bow tie every Sunday from now on so that I can be reminded that every time I go to church or every time I stand up to preach, there are people in the congregation that need to have some barrier removed. That, that there, are, there are people, not only in the congregation, but wherever I go, that need to have barriers removed. And so the, a bow tie has become a, a symbol for me. Now, this is the first time I've ever worn a bow tie here. And maybe when you walked in, you thought, oh, look at him. He thinks he's got a bow tie. <laughs> but now you know why. Now, I, 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 I recognize it doesn't fit quite so well into the Alaskan culture. And to remove barriers in this culture, I do well to not have a bow tie. But I, I wore it today so you would begin to think about this idea of removing barriers because you are an ambassador of Christ. You are a minister. You have this ministry of reconciliation. And if we're going to be relevant, we need ambassadors and ministries all throughout our church to do their job during the week. Stand and let me pray for you. Father, we thank you this morning for this reminder that yes, we are saved from our sins to go to heaven, and we rejoice in that. But Father, we, we are saved into a new occupation. We are saved into a new calling. That our designated place is to be an ambassador and to represent you in this foreign land. Pray that you would help me to do my job. Father, help each of us to do this assigned task that you've given to us. And as a result, may we be a relevant church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.